Whose car are you driving? I don't want to talk about it. Did you get an accident, Tasha? I'm not here for this, Gabe. I'm here for this. I've I'm had a concerned. really tough... You have children now. Were they I've... in the car? No, they weren't. Thank God. I can't do that. I cr- my mom gave me shit, and I because started crying. Why did? Why are people giving you shit about it? Let's let's break this down. All right. Okay. This is. I'm not even going to talk about what happened because it was so fucking dumb, and I was. I feel so stupid. Were you facetiming? No, I wasn't doing anything. I was sitting in a stoplight, zoned out on. I guess I am going to say. Zoned out on this guy's taillights. I you were going to say zoned out on Lurazepam. No. <laughs> zoned out on this guy's taillights. I was fucking exhausted. I saw his taillights. Like, he took his foot off the brake, so I took my foot off the brake, and I don't know if I blinked for a long time or if I, like, was just assumed. I, I wasn't. I assumed we're all just rolling forward. No, he just took his foot off the brake to, like, I don't know, roll forward for a second, and I rolled forward for an extra second, and I bumped into him i have been in like 20 fucking accidents not one have airbags gone off not one because all my accidents are fucking bullshit fender bender fucking stupid incidents so what happened the guy got out the guy well yeah the patrol the guy the patrol car that i hit that was in front of me are you kidding me not a real cop he was a -a rent-a-cop it was like a jbm jmb patrol car he gets out turns around he's this like squat little old man and he's like, just kind of goes, ah, and throws his hands up at me. And I'm like, I get it. Like, yeah. we're just sitting here at this. The the light, when the cop came to talk to me, she's like, was the light, did the light turn green? I'm like, no. Even after I hit him and I looked up, the light was still red. And she's like, huh. And I'm like, yeah, do you see why he's upset? Like, no wonder. Like, he's confused and upset. Also, he like put on his cop flashers while Cute. we're waiting for the real cop. Oh, he thinks he's real. I know. <laughs> I didn't tell anyone like this happened the beginning of last week and I didn't tell you I haven't told anyone you're embarrassed because I'm embarrassed yeah because it's embarrassing I feel really stupid I feel like like I can't function as a fucking adult that like I can't get my head on straight enough to who does that who rear ends somebody when everyone stopped everyone is stopped Mm -hmm. the light is red and then all of a sudden, someone gets rear-ended when nobody was moving. After the accident, I was like, oh, I should have pretended there was like a bee in my car. <laughs> Chris Farley did, you know. <laughs> Everywhere. So yeah, that's a rental. The worst part about this, for me, <laughs> how it affects me, yeah. is you give, you're contributing to that fucking stereotype of women being bad drivers I know. and I hate it. Look at you. Look at that. Look at what I'm doing to us as a, look, look, as a people. Look, yeah. That's how it affects me. Yeah. You know what? I'm making um, braised short ribs for my husband who traditionally goes to work a full-time job while I stay home with our children. Um, that recipe I sent you? Yeah, I've made it like five times. Is it amazing? It's I fucking incredible. I haven't made it yet. I'm making a shitload. You could pop over if you feel like it. Tonight? Yeah. What time? We have dinner at like 5.30. Check my schedule. I'm going to do taters. I'm going to like put them on potatoes. And I've got, oh, they've been marinating in a bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon for 24 hours. Oh, I guess it just depends on when the fucking plumber gets here. <laughs> okay, fuck it. Okay. Uh, welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. Today we are doing season one, episode 21, Nocturne. 
So the opening scene, we're at a uh, photography developing place like Walgreens used to do. What, what is it called? Like They still do that. They do? Yeah, but they used to have like, like Photo Hut and shit. Yeah, yeah. It used to exist little shops that only developed photos. Yeah, well, you'd bring your film in and... Pre-dig. I don't think Walgreens does film anymore, though. Or do they send it oh, out Oh, yeah, somewhere? they just do digital. Yeah. I was forgetting that they even brought it in on like a roll of film. Yeah. So there's a bunch of photos developing and it is of a child in, in a series of undress and they're being developed real fast. So Benson Stabler show up. The cashier guy, he said the film was dropped off like 45 minutes ago by a guy named Larry Holt mm -hmm. and that he just felt like it was weird and needed to call the cops. Yeah. You can see an open bottle of alcohol and Stabler's like, this kid's been posed. Yeah. And the kid looks to be like eight years old-ish. Yeah. The last of the images, the kid is in his underwear. Like um, little boxers. Yeah. Yeah. So Olivia said that they can't get Larry Holt on anything more than endangering the welfare of a child because they would have a hard time proving any child porn charges. But yeah. Elliot's like, you know that there's more. This is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And yeah, so the only thing I can get him on is that like open bottle of alcohol. Right. And Elliot's all emotion and gut on this. Of and course. Olivia has to balance it with pragmatism. Yeah. So, they so just... they're like, well, you know, if we like stop him today, he's going to go home and get rid of a bunch of shit. So let's just follow him for a couple weeks and like see what's up. Get more on him. All of a sudden somebody walks through the door and the cashier's like, oh my God, it's him. <laughs> and it's fucking Larry Holt. And his photos are spread all over. And he's the... like, what's going on? And they're like, yeah. well, so much for... Frickin' being off his radar. Yeah. And Stabes is like, boom, we're the police. What's yeah. up? And that those are the only words Larry Holt says in the entire fucking episodes besides on the tapes. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. It's always like a slow pan in on his like Stupid skinny mustache. white mustache <laughs> farmer face. And yeah. he's like, he's <laughs> like, what's happening? So he's like, yeah, boom, boom. are these photos yours? And he's like, yeah. Oh, I haven't been paying attention to the big words molestation lately. It's, it's still <laughs> I usually there. skip over the intro. I'm like, this is going to be the same all through season one. Yeah. They have Holt in the interrogation room and Craig is telling Benson and Saylor that they jumped the gun and they have nothing. He's like, this could be apple juice. This like... You know, everything that the defense would say Cragen's bringing to them or everything that the ADA is going to yeah. be like, things need to be more concrete to get charges to stick. Yeah. This is just a picture of a kid in like shorts, basically. Mm -hmm. They need more to continue with this. You can't prove that the kid was drunk. You can't prove that the bottle had alcohol in it. Well, and Benson and Stabler are like, we didn't jump the gun. We just didn't have a choice. Yeah. The dude walked in. There's nothing in the photos that they can do anything about. And Stabes knows there's more evidence, yeah. but he's like, I just need to get it. We just yeah. need to get in there and get it. But there's all these legalities. They can't just fucking go into his house without a search warrant. Yeah. So they find out that Larry Holt is a piano teacher and this kid in the picture is his student. Stabler's like, he's really pushing for this being posed and over-sexualized mm -hmm. and Stabler's like pedophiles keep pictures as evidence of their sexual acts and they like cherish these pictures and Stabler wants a warrant to look more into his apartment. So ADA Mark Hickey comes in and he is being played by John Benjamin Hickey. They didn't go far on the name. I fucking love this guy. Do you know him? Did you mm -hmm. clock him at all? No. He's super young here so it was hard to tell but I first remember him from, did you watch the show The Big C? Mm -mm. I think it was on HBO or something. It was with Laura Linney and Gabri Sidibe and John Benjamin Hickey has also been on Broadway and done a bunch of play acting and stuff. And he won a Tony. He's like super pals with Andy Cohen and Sarah Jessica Parker. Okay. Stabler tells ADA Hickey that he wants a search warrant for Holtz's apartment. And while they're talking about 
them not being able to get this for Stabler, Holtz's lawyer comes up to them and he's demanding that he gets his client's house keys because somebody needs to go in and feed the dog. And they're like, bullshit. We're going to bullshit you because you're bullshitting us and you're a bullshitter. They're really afraid that somebody's going to get in there and yes. like take his shit. Destroy evidence. Yeah. Right. So they kind of give the lawyer the runaround and they send him to the property clerk. They're like, oh, yeah, his keys are over at the property clerk. So he walks away. Benson's like, Boop. so she's got or the shit that goes to the property clerk. And she's like, oh, I wasn't going to turn this in for like two hours. And they're like, cool. We just bought ourselves some time. Cragen suggests that oh, they yeah. hunt down the kid in the photos to talk to him so that they can get some, like maybe branch out to get some more evidence. Benson and Stabler go off to Holt's neighborhood to search him down. Cragen's going to put a uniform cop at the door of Holtz's place so that nobody can get in there to destroy evidence. Yeah. So they only have so long to have this kind of setup. So they're really moving for it. Yeah. So they get outside Larry Holt's apartment. And there's some dude is fighting with the B-cap to let him in. He won't. Benson and Stabler are like, hey, who are you? And he's like, I'm Larry's son. I'm trying to get in to this apartment. They're like, you can't. Like, you don't live here. He's like, do you have a search warrant? And they're like, it's on its way. Until then, this is on lockdown. And he was like, okay, fine. And leaves. It's a super fucking nice place yeah. right across the street from an elementary school. But it's also in a lower income neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. So what's this guy doing? What's his deal? What's up? Yeah. They're all like, why is this wealthy white guy living in this neighborhood? So pretty soon a little boy runs up to the door saying he has piano lessons. Mm. Well, shit. It's, it's the, the little, little boy, boy from the pictures, photos. Yeah. yeah. It's the little boy from the photos. <laughs> I can't. Because we were, we're like, hey, so I felt like from the pic photos pictures. like we were, what was it? On Weekend Update, how they would make yeah. up songs. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's the it's little, little boy, boy from, from the, the photos. photos. He's, He's going, going for, for piano, piano lessons. lessons. Gonna have <laughs> those lessons. Gonna have those lessons. <laughs> God, it's really fun. That is fun. <laughs> so anyway, this poor little boy. Cut to him being... <laughs> Cut to him being questioned with his dad at the station. Mm -hmm. He says that Mr. Holt is a good teacher. They're like, does he ever touch you? And he's like, yeah, he keeps his hand on my back. It's for posture. This kid is fucking adorable. I know. And they're like, does he take pictures of you? And he's like, yeah, he calls them snappies. Mm, and I was like, ew. I know. Olivia's like, does he show you his other snappies? And he's like, no. One time I found some. They fell out of this music book. But the little boys in those pictures weren't wearing any clothes. And the dad was like... What? Yeah. Yeah. So the camera pulls back to Craig and Stabler and the ADA watching from the other side of the glass. They love this zoom out, by the way. Yep. They like love the interrogation it, yeah. room and then they're like, wow. I love it too. Just on the other side of the yeah. glass. I, they did it a bunch of times yeah. this episode. But now they have probable cause. Yeah. So they can get a warrant now. They're like ready to rock because they need to get it before 9 p.m. if they want to get in there tonight, which they do because they can't hold Holt. And they're going to lose the cop in two hours. So the ADA is like, I'll page Judge Rothman. She owes me. Mm -hmm. This lady's awesome. Yeah. So we're at Judge Rothman's house. She's, She's having like a dinner party like a, or yeah, something. Some kind of dinner party. But she takes the fucking time to look over the warrant and add some shit about being able to take film and video and stuff. Yeah. Because you know how... How many times have they gone to like judges' houses and it's like some dude that's like, no, I'm doing stuff, you know? Yeah. And I get it. You want to respect your time off of work and stuff. But like this is rad. She's just You don't like, work at Target. You're a judge. Like yeah. this shit is pressing. Yeah. She's got know? a big old fucking brooch on. And she's like, what else? Like, yeah. Just making sure that she's dotting all the T's mm -hmm. and crossing all the I's. I know what I did. <laughs> To make sure that the, everything that they take is on the warrant. Yep. So she's like computers, files, photos, anything that falls into those categories. Mm -hmm. She's making sure it's on there. It's three minutes to nine. She, she signs, signs it. it. 
Yep. Cut to Olivia, Munch, and Jeffries outside of Holt's apartment. Olivia hangs up her cell and she's like, we got it. Open it up. They're in Holt's place. And Olivia's like, it's quiet in here. And Munch goes, maybe the dog died. I don't like any kind of joke about pet yeah. death. <laughs> Me neither. I was like, yeah, fuck them for pretending they had a dog. Like that lawyer knew. How do lawyers not become accessories to fucking... Right? You know? Okay. Super sketch. Yeah. So it's really quiet. There's toys everywhere. There's a piano. They find a huge photo album of kids on, like in different stages of undress. And then Munch sees this door and he fucking <sighs> breaks into it. And there's a fucking TV and videotapes, like VHS tapes everywhere. He pops one in and you can like hear a child playing the piano and asking Larry Holt to stop that it hurts. Yeah. Uh, warning. Sorry. Uh, yeah. There's tapes on tapes on tapes in that room. Yeah. And Olivia and Munch and Jeffries are all in there together and they're all looking at each other like this is super fucked. I mean, like when people used to have VHS tapes, there would be shelves, like people would have shelves in their house with mm-hmm. with VHSs on them. Mm-hmm. There was like, like bookshelves. Yeah. And it was like floor to ceiling bookshelves, hundreds of VHS tapes, which we can only assume were filled with the same stuff that was on the it tape. It looked like that it had watching. like a name and a date or something, you know? Yeah. So now they're at the court. I normally don't like this judge because he always makes weird decisions. It's but the I same su- guy. Yeah. I super liked him. I super like his voice no matter what he's I do, saying. Yeah. He reminds me of that chocolate. <laughs> chocolate rain guy? Chocolate rain guy, kind of. He has a really um, baritone voice. Yeah. Is so that the right term? Baritone? Bass? Bass. I think baritone. He's got a real bassy voice. His voice is in the basement. <laughs> okay, dad. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Are the dad jokes only reserved for you? (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) So they're in the court. The judge is not having it. Mm -hmm. He's giving him a litany of charges, endangering of a child, using a child in a sexual manner, etc. They had found 157 tapes. Mm -hmm. This was the best. When he asked the lawyer how many were left and the lawyer was like 157, he like camera kind of pans up to his face and he looks up at Holt and he's like, impressive, Mr. Holt. Yeah. So it's 44 counts of possessing an obscene sexual performance by a child. Holt's lawyer jumps in and he's like, the people clearly haven't had enough time to go through everything. The judge says, then we will all dread the discovery process. Holt doesn't get bail and he's remanded. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I was like, good. Yeah. So Munch, Benson, Jeffries, Stabler, and Cragen are all sitting in the precinct watching Holt's videos. And you can tell they're all just like having a super tough time with and it. And that, that's the thing too about like police work stuff. Like you have to watch all of it. You can't just like fast forward through some parts. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have to examine it all. Right. So there's a tape that they're watching and it was the beginning of the same tape that they saw in his apartment. It starts with a little kid and there's stuff happening in it with Holt. And then it cuts to one that's a little bit older. And by the third kid that's even older, they realize it's the same kid enduring years of abuse. And Holtz made like a compilation tape of this kid. The kid is also an amazing pianist. Like that's just, it's not an aside because it's a part of his storyline, but he's like progressing as he is being abused. Is being abused. It's like full on documentation of this child's of the kid's abuse. They do an incredible job in this episode of illustrating the nuances of a groomed abusive relationship mm-hmm. because in these videos, there are moments of them like Have laughing you- together and him like, you know, joining in on a joke with Holt, but you're going, but he's being abused by this guy it, and it just shows the complexity of like a truly groomed abusive relationship. Yeah. 
Oh, this is a fun thing to do. Isn't this fun to do mm-hmm. together, Gabe? Yeah, I love it. ADA Hickey comes in and lets them know that there's a lot more to go through. And Craigan's like, there could be maybe 50 or 100 more kids. And Munch reluctantly volunteers to do it. And I'm like, wow. Because everybody else was just kind of looking at each other. Like, oh, God, we got to do this. Like, who's going to do it? Munch was like, oh, I got it. What they need to do is find a complainant. Because they can't file an abuse charge on him if they don't have that. They have to find an actual kid from the tapes that they can like get to testify. And they're like, let's get this kid from this video. He spent his whole life being abused. Let's find this guy. Yeah. So they load up on fucking pictures of the kid and head out back to Holt's neighborhood. Stabler stops in this gas station and the cashier dude is like kind of sassy. He's like, you're only here when something happens. And he's like, well, I'm here now. And he's like, yeah, that's your business. Right. Because he he asked him about Holt and the guy's like, he's a little fruity, but that's none of my business. And I'm like, yeah, it is none of your business. And it also has nothing to do with what they're talking about. Right. So they talk to a handful of people. They're showing different detectives talking to different people in the neighborhood. And it kind of always comes back to like, oh, he's good for the neighborhood. He's good for the kids. He's such a good teacher. It feels like everybody like knows, but it's like this like denial thing. They're just kind of like, because he's done so many great things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That like that's the vibe like yeah I'm getting right. Especially when Jeffries stops at the video store. Fuck, remember those? <laughs> <laughs> remember Blockbuster? Yeah. Um, dude, he, this dude is like immediately like, what do people do with their Friday nights now? I think about that. Like, do yeah. we just look at our phones longer in the car before we go into a restaurant? Just kidding. We don't go anywhere. Or do anything now? We just look at our phones while we're watching Netflix. Ugh. The VHS store guy. This dude immediately is very defensive, saying Holt is a good guy and gives us, he gave his kids free lessons and that he, that his kids would tell him if anything happened. He's like, Larry's great. He points to a poster of this big deal pianist who was taught by Larry and he's like, Ray Guzmano. Yeah, he's from the neighborhood. Yeah, he said that Holt makes a difference for these kids and just maintains this defensiveness. Yeah, he was like, oh yeah, Holt made a difference a lot more than you ever will. And I was like, geez. Yeah. Like, okay, dick. He didn't need to say that. Obviously, the dude, like, knows something's up, but it's just, like, feeling weird and is in denial. Mm-hmm. So Jeffrey Stabler and Benson are walking down the street and talking about the neighborhood people and how they're all maybe just trying to be optimistic, trying to keep everything together. Avoiding the truth and yeah. denial. Because if they face the truth, it would make them f- feel like bad parents. Benson's like, why even have kids? Can we talk about this, please? <laughs> Okay. I thought of you immediately. I'm like, why have kids? Now, this infuriates me. Right. People think that having kids is like a selfless act, but it's fucking selfish. Non, non-mom, mom. mom. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you as a mom. I'm not finished, but go I ahead. know you're not finished, but let me, <laughs> let me interject and then you finish. So I'll just read you what I had here. Did you come up with a fucking like counterpoint for what you thought I was going to say? No, because oh. I have no counterpoint. So I put Benson's like, why even have kids? And Gabe's like, yeah, why? Stabe says it's because you want to more than anything in the world. I say there's human biology that pushes for it. If I had listened to my OCD and anxiety, I wouldn't have kids. But my biology was like, nah, it's fine. Look at me now, a loving mom on a cocktail of medications to cope with the world (laughs) around my little ones. Oh my God. I fucking adore my kids, but I know that knowing my mental health and my journey with anxiety and everything, my biology is that much stronger than my anxiety, which rules every other aspect of my life. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But here's the thing. The level of sentience that we have, we get to actually like ignore our biology if we want. Uh And not mental health stuff. I mean like wanting to have kids and stuff. Yeah. Like you get to really think about it. I don't 
get it. Like you don't have to, like, why would you put people through that? All the hurt and pain and stuff that goes on in the world, your kids are going to feel that and go through that. Like, yeah, I just don't get it. I can't, I can't wrap my mind around it. Yeah. And that's like totally fair. That's totally fair. And I can totally see your, your point. Cause I do Mm -hmm. like, this is a purpose, but I don't think it's everybody's purpose you know what I mean? I don't feel like it's everybody's like driving thing, but there was like a huge drive. I can't, I can't defend it or like be mad at your, how, like your perception of it. And I also can't like make sense of it. Yeah. We can explain the biological happenings of love. Mm-hmm. And just because you can explain it doesn't exempt you from it. You're still a human. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then, Yeah. I think that's part of it is like throwing that human element into it where it's like, well, am I, am I experiencing life? I can get to a pretty dark place when I think about like my kids being in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I can imagine. And this doesn't mean that I don't like kids. I, the ones that are already here, I love kids. Yeah. I like hanging out with them. I'm pretty good. I don't think I'd be a very good aunt. But You'd I, be a great aunt. There's no responsibility with being an aunt. No, I mean, like, I feel like I have more uncle vibes. Oh, for sure. <laughs> like, I, I love kids. I like them. I like my, I love my nieces and nephews. Like, I like kids. They're great. Mm-hmm. They're already here, you right. know? Yeah, I don't know, man. So, Benson and Stabler hear piano playing coming from Larry Holt's building. And they're like, what, what in the frick? <laughs> So Benson and Stabler walk into Holt's place to find a young man playing the piano like a fucking pro. And they're like, nice chaps. What's up? What's your name? How'd you get in? And he's like, I'm Evan and I have a set of keys. And they show him the photo of the kid they're looking for. And it's him. And it's him. Yeah. Yeah. Back at the precinct, Benson and Stabler are questioning Evan, and he's telling them about his upcoming audition for Juilliard. He praises what a great teacher Holt was, and he's a little elusive, Mm -hmm. but he tells them about how he had received free lessons. It seems like a pattern with Holt. Mm -hmm. He had received free lessons. He's a great teacher. He's a great person. Olivia's like, I don't have time for this shit. She leans in and she's like, I need to ask you about your piano teacher. Yeah. And about Evan, what he did to you. And he was like, what? Evan's in full denial. He's like, he never touched me. He never hurt me. He was a great teacher, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So on the other side of that one-way mirror, they, <laughs> this is where I was like, man, they really love this perspective. They do. Stabler and Cragen are discussing what to do next. Stabler says, Evan doesn't know he was taped. And Cragen says, we'll show him the tape. And Stabler is very concerned about how that will affect Evan. He's Thank like, you, Stabler. Yeah, he's like, don't we have enough that we can like get him on? And they really don't. And he's yeah. like, dude, all that pain that the denial is covering, once that fucking denial is gone, like there's going to be an equal amount of pain. Ugh, it's like, I have like chilled. So ADA Hickey pops out of nowhere and he's like, without bringing the charges of abuse, we only have enough to put him away for like seven years at the most. So while they're going over this, Stabler's seeing that it's going to fucking wreck the kid. And Cragen's like, Elliot, he's an adult, and pushes past Stabes. Mm-hmm. So Cragen's just going to fucking show Evan the tape. Yeah. He barely preps him along with the ADA. So Cragen starts this tape. Evan's watching it and realizes what he's seeing. He breaks down and mm-hmm. begs them to turn it off, and he, like, cowers in the corner. Stabler walks in and angry looks at Cragen. Yeah, Cragen's, Cragen's like, like ah. it's okay, son. And you're like, um, Okay. Yeah. You're usually better at being a dad. Benson and Stabler are on the street going to Evan's apartment talking about Holt and why he was in a community of color as a white dude who, like, you know, could, quote, love and help the kids in that area. He was using it as his grooming grounds. And the way I saw it was the same way that Jerry Sandusky did with the Second Mile Foundation Mm -hmm. and how he 
was helping kids that came from like lower income families and needed to be seen and needed and needed help and could like be advanced in this program and whatever else. I don't really I see here I don't I never really knew like did a lot of looking into the Jerry Sandusky thing. Oh dude. Is that what your chaser's about? No, it's worse. But um Oh my god. <laughs> um yeah I'm basketball diaries. Dude we'll get into it. But um no I I, I was I thought about Jerry Sandusky through this, and I was like, he's gonna come up in the future. Mm-hmm. Like the there's gonna be another episode in like season 20. twenty or something, mm-hmm. or nineteen or eighteen. So Benson and Stabler head to Evan's house. His mom is sitting there, and they're really like sh- trying to show how how like a piece of shit she is. Yeah, she's like smoking a cigarette indoors, J and B whiskey yeah. next to a pack of Newports, next to an open pill bottle. Yeah, and the background is like all empty bottles. Yeah, yeah. She's like, "Why do you want to talk to him? What did he do?" And they're like, "They didn't do anything. He's really good at piano." And she's like, "Yeah, so mm-hmm. that's what we want to talk to him about." She's like, "Well, if he if you're from that fancy school, you better talk to him about how he's gonna pay for it." Like, puts her cigarette out all angry. Yeah. So they're talking to Evan, and he's like, "Sorry about my mom." And Sailor's like, "Ah, eh, families. That's that's fine." So they're they're showing him pictures of the other kids that they saw in the tapes, and they want some names. So he just really is like ragging on himself for like being twenty one and not famous yet, because Ray Guzmano was seventeen when he cut his first album. Yeah, and they're like, "There's still time," and he's like, "Oh, there is," and he starts looking through the pictures, and he's like, "Cesar's in jail." For an armed robbery gone wrong, Ricky's a junkie, Tommy's just missing. He's like pointing out all these guys in this photo album. And he's like, and I still live here. So Holt did stuff for me. He like doesn't want to like betray him. Yeah. Well, he's been groomed so hard that he's going to defend this guy because of this relationship that he has. Like, what am I doing? And he's like, there's a price for everything, mm. which is fucked up. And then Olivia's like, and there's a price for what he did too. Yeah. You know? Right. They're in the squad room. Holt didn't have a computer and no one in the neighborhood is talking. So Holt's only going to get charged with two counts because of some statute of limitations. Mm-hmm. It got changed in 96, but a lot of the abuse happened before 96 and there's not like a grandfather a grandfather law. So everything that happened before 96, which is when Evan turned 16, is inadmissible and everything after 17 is considered consensual. So there's really only a year they can charge for. Yeah. Which is fucked. And Evan doesn't want to betray Holt, so they're worried that Evan won't even testify. So, like, great, now we have Cesar the lifer or Ricky the junkie. What they're saying is they're not great witnesses by the court standards, but it's who they have. Yeah. So now they got to go talk to these guys. Yeah, they got to they got to get these fucking somebody to talk. They're on the streets, and Benson is talking to who I assume is the junkie guy, Ricky. Ricky. He denies anything ever happening to him. He won't look at Olivia, and she just keeps trying to be like, "Hey, come to the station, get warm, come talk about it." And he's like, "Holt's place was always open to the kids. Get warm, get a meal, sugar cookie." I miss that part. And I'm like, can't that person exist in the neighborhood without the fucking molesting? Yeah, I don't know if that... I I knew a lady. I I was going to say, you need a sweet old lady. Yes. And it was Susie Taylor's mom. And you could go to her house and she would get you a Coke and you'd sit down at the table and she'd ask you all about your day, all about everything going on. This woman had an insane... I can't even go off about her right now. She dated Mick Jagger. She hung out with Timothy Leary. She had... Mm -hmm. She's like... All these old, like like Studio 54, whatever. And she wanted to hear about how junior high was that day for us. Yeah. I did not know this shit about her until I was an adult. Yeah. And she, I'm like, why was she listening to our fucking stories? Just because she was a nice lady. Yeah. Amber and I would go knock on the door and be like, oh, we hope Susie's not home so we can just sit and hang out with her mom. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. But yeah, like that does exist. 
but it's just um it's never a guy it's never it's a guy never a fucking dude Mm-mm. so so ricky's not willing to go to the station house yeah Jeffries is outside the residence of Ray Guzmano. He's well-dressed, he's got a nice car, and he's refusing to cooperate because he got out of that neighborhood and only goes back to visit his mom. He has like no loyalty to his neighborhood. Mm-hmm. He explains how hard it is to get out and to have a better life, so he's not willing to lose that by by testifying. Yeah, he's which, like, I don't owe anything to that community. And you're like, cool. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't really get that argument, but on the other hand, I can't really argue it because it's his journey to process. That's true, you know? that's true. Yeah. So. It sucks because it's like you're responsible for these other people, but it's like, but who is responsible for him? Yeah. You know, and it's just that's why it's a fucked up cycle. Mm-hmm. But oh, that's um, true. Yeah. In my mind, I was like, God, this guy's a little prick. But then you're right. Yeah. Because yeah. he was just a, a boy in that shit. So it's just a real quick little scene here of Stabler at the door of Holt's son and his son will not talk to him. And he's like, why? And he just goes, because he's my father. And he shuts the door. Yeah. It's like, all right, well, I didn't I, like, need that. I need to know everything about this fucking guy, but like you don't find anything out about him. No, fucking dead ends everywhere. Yeah. So they're at the precinct. Cragen walks into the, like the videotape room. Munch was still there. Um he's watched all but two tapes. So Cragen is like, "Get out of here, bud." Munch is like fried from it. Yeah. He can't sleep because of what he's seen. Yeah. He's like, "Every time I close my eyes, I just see every frame of every video." So Munch is like, "I should go back to homicide." Cragen's like, yeah, but you retired and showed up here a couple of months later. And he's like, Munch is like, next time I'll do better at quitting. And Craigan's like, oh, yeah, running away is awesome. It's like, what are you searching for, Munch? What are you running away from? He's like, all right, I'll go home. But he's like, I'm going to finish these last two tapes. So we're at Stabler's house. He's reading Twas the Night Before Christmas with his two youngest, Dickie and the girl who we've never seen or noticed before. Mm-hmm. His pager goes off and he calls the number. It's Evan. And Stabler just says, stay there. I'll be there as soon as I can. Mm-hmm. Super sweet scene. Gabe sends me a text of a screenshot of Stabler reading Twas the Night Before Christmas to his kids, and it just says sploosh. <laughs> and I'm like, are you getting a lady boner over Stabler being well, a good dad? It was, cause, yeah, because he, he, he like put his big, huge hand up on her head very gently, and I was like, oh my God. I know. <laughs> and it was, and those that little girl's like sweet little actor. She like yeah. put his arms around him and was like, like kissed him on the cheek. She's like, why can't Christmas come early? And I was like, shut up, Dickie. But <laughs> anyways, so yeah, he he meets Evan at Polly's diner. Evan's mom threw him out. She said she didn't want to quote unquote. Nope. F word. Hold on. Well, how do I say it? I said, I quoted him and said, my mom threw me out. She said she didn't want some F bomb staying at her place, but not fuck. And he said, I didn't know who else to call. Yeah. So Stabler tells him he can help him find emergency living situations. He tells Stabler he thinks he wants to testify. And I was like, yes. Well, he's going through this process, but he's got Stabler sitting there. And he's like, he asks Stabler if Stabler thinks he's gay. I love Stabler's response. He navigates this really well. Except for the very end. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. There's there's a couple. I mean, he's still at the end of the day. He's a straight white dude. And it's still 2000. And it's the year 2000. So Stabler's like, pedophilia and homosexuality aren't in the same fucking boat. Well, first he says, he asked him if he's gay, and Stabler says it's not for him to say, but that it's not something someone can choose. And that there's a big difference between homosexuality and pedophilia. Yeah. He's like, homosexuality is none of my business. But pedophilia fucking is. Yeah, he's like, what was done to you was forced. Mm-hmm. And he was like, this is the part that I didn't like. And he was like, but why didn't you stop taking these lessons? And I said, I didn't love this, but I think it was probably to answer that question for middle America. 
because you yeah. know people ignorant people that don't and I I just mean ignorant in this subject matter. Oh, you're right about that middle America thing because they're like, yeah. well, why did you just you weren't chained to the thing? And it's like, well, that's what grooming is. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, well, I guess I didn't really think I had a choice. Then Stabler goes back into being awesome and he's like, when you're ready, you'll it'll it will be your choice and you'll find somebody somebody that it'll be consensual. Right. Male, female, whatever, you know? And I can't emphasize enough. Abusers who groom their victims are fucking slick. And they mind fuck these kids so badly that the kids don't have the ability to see what we can see from the outside. Like their perception of it is so fucking skewed. You cannot have the expectation that they're going to have the same way of thinking that you as an adult person watching this shit from the outside have. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're a kid growing up and it being told that this is what this is how this learning is and this is how this is how this is and this is part it's, of it's it. They're like first experience with anything even related to sexuality and stuff yeah and so they don't know that you it's bad and harmful you know what i mean there it's yeah. like this is what this is all my chaser this, this is, is this yeah. is what somebody who cares about me does mm-hmm. it's just like it's like that that grooming shit is so like fucked and like so dark yeah i can't even like my brain's like Ugh. yeah okay so they're at, the st- at stabler's home stabler's fucking with the piano i think he like closed it was like, it's like no, no none of this <laughs> no piano for my kids his wife's like hey dude what's up how are you like how's work going and he's like oh, nothing everything's fine and she's like so have you talked to olivia about it and he replies well she's my partner and then there was this like weird awkward like i don't know where it was like that was the first kind of like rift that was the first kind of like Kathy's on one side and Olivia's on the other. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, don't make it that. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that. Yeah. It's got to be hard though, dude. Like being married to. Oh, I'm not saying that. I'm yeah. not saying Kathy's doing it. I'm saying, saying how SVU. they're pre- SVU yeah. as yeah. they're presenting it where Fucking it's journey. like just that Kathy's like, I want to be I want to be the one that. Not. And, and yeah. he's like, no, you don't. Like you don't want to know the shit that I have to see. Well, this is the only episode where he hasn't, like, just told her everything. Yeah. I mean... Where she's, like, eating a pint of Ben and Jerry's, and she's like, oh, my God, what? (laughs) I mean, they were making it on the couch one of the episodes, and he's like, you think our daughter's had sex? (laughs) (laughs) You're like, chill. Yeah, it was an awkward pause. I didn't like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they're at the precinct again. Stabler is really concerned about making sure that Evan is comfortable. The ADA guy was like, he's like a child, and he's like, yeah, he's, like, shut... He's shut down emotionally and sexually since he's eight. He's, like, a kid. Yeah. He's like, well, what we do for kids usually is we do, like, a courtroom prep. So Evan's playing around in the judge's seat then, and they tell Evan he won't be attending the trial to prevent contamination. Oh, yeah. ADA Hickey tells Evan when he's on the stand to just answer the questions and just look at the ADA. Ignore everything else, everyone else. And Evan's like, yeah, just hear the music. And I'm like, oh my God, that's his coping tool for the abuse. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So they're in the squad room. This was like a really interesting back and forth between Stabler and Munch. Mm-mm. Munch is obviously like fucked up because <laughs> yeah. of all this. So he's sitting there and he asks Stabler, he's like, what makes a perp a perp? Is it a conscious choice? And to me, this is like a really good question. Yeah. Is it his frontal lobe? Yeah. Is it, yeah. Stabler's like, who cares? Munch says, some say that our frontal lobe is our armor against impulses. Mm-hmm. And wonders, it was like, maybe Holt was abused. And Stabler's like, I don't care. The guy hurt a lot of kids and that's what I care about. And yeah. he's like, Munch, what is going on with you? And he's like, I got something to show you. At Ugh. this time, I tried to look up a general turnover rate for sex crimes like for people who are employed in sex crimes but I didn't find it immediately so I gave up Um, but it's got to be like a higher rate than other units right yeah like it has to be he sits Stabler down into tape of Evan as an adult teaching Jonathan the kid from the 
pictures originally Mm -hmm. how to play music uh and holt comes in and holt tells him he's like show the kid how to feel the music he's not feeling it and the kid says like what are you doing and and, uh, evan was molesting jonathan Jonathan in the the video Mm -hmm. like he was taught that's how you play piano and like with holt over his shoulder pressing him to Mm -hmm. do it and then stabler's face he was like just shocked Mm mm-hmm Cut to the whole team talking in Cragen's office. Munch, Jeffrey, Stabler, and Benson are in there. They're debating how this gets handled because Evan is a victim but has been groomed into being an abuser himself mm. and will likely just continue the cycle. And Cragen's like, well, calls ADA Hickey to come down because they're going <laughs> to interrogate Evan about the videotape. Yeah. In a dark interrogation room with a tape recorder, Stabe sits across from Evan as ADA Hickey and Cragen look on. Evan is telling the story about the little boy, Jonathan. Holt said he wasn't feeling the music. How can you play a song about longing if you don't feel it? And Stabler matter-of-factly says, Jonathan was playing the entertainer. Right. And Evan's just like, that's how I learned to play. Ugh. Craigan's like, you committed a crime. And Evan's like, yes, I deserve to be punished. Yeah. But, I, but I still want to testify. Mm-hmm. So Craigan tells him he's being arraigned this like this coming afternoon, but they could probably make a deal. Stabler and Craigan are doing a very like classic SVU walk and talk down the hall. Yes. <laughs> I love these. Stabler is not happy that Craigan was trying to offer Evan a deal. Yeah. Craigan's like, you think it's not fair that I'm trying to give him a deal. And Stabler's like, Stabler's like, I don't even fucking know what I think anymore. Yeah. He's so conflicted because Evan is an abuser now, but he's seen the tapes of Evan yeah. as a small child and what happened to him. Yeah. Stabler thinks that people who are abused, abusing others is an excuse that absolves them of a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Craigan says the whole abuse begets abuse begets abuse is a rationalization that is used by countless defense lawyers, but in this case, it happens to be true. Yeah. So Stabler's like, fucking Evan had a choice. And Craigan says, Evan, the adult, made a choice and committed a crime and we're cops and we'll deal with that. But what's eating Stabler is Evan, the little boy on the tape, didn't have a choice. And also, I feel like Stabes is conflicted because not long before finding out this new information about Evan, he himself said that Evan is stuck in an eight-year-old maturity level. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's just conflicted because he's first introduced to Evan as the victim. And now he's got this new element where it's like, yeah, what the fuck do I do with this? Right. So they're in the court. They're at Evan's arraignment. Bail is set to 25000 The lawyer wants to approach the bench. Both lawyers are like, nah, this isn't a good deal. Evan's lawyer knows that his client can't make that. But the prosecutor is worried that a night in jail will affect Evan's testimony against Larry Holt. So if he can't pay the bail, he has to sit in jail overnight. And that's going to affect You can't thing. pay the bail. You, you got to sit, sit in jail. jail. <laughs> so the judge is like, okay, until the testimony is completed, he'll release Evan to the custody of the people. So now they're at the fucking Starland Hotel. And of course, Stabler apparently is the one that's got to hang out with him. Mm-hmm. He's not happy. So Stabler is with Evan in the hotel room. Evan says, you hate me, don't you? Stabler's like, I don't hate you. Stabler says, what happened to you was terrible. But now I see you as an abuser. Mm-hmm. And I see a guy that if you ever came near my fucking kids. Yeah. And he's like angry, sexy, pointing his finger. <laughs> It's and to me it's like crazy that Stabler is having to spend the night with a child molester because it's like this is like Stabler's like kryptonite. Yeah. You know. But I mean, look at but Munch has already been through so much. They're not going to put a Yeah. like female detective just based on sex crime stuff. I know. It just was like, oh, that sucks. Yeah. So Stabler pulls out Twas the night before Christmas that he's like, ah, oh, Dickie must have put this in my bag. And Evan starts reading it out loud, which is odd, and Staves is just like, don't. Yeah. And I'm like 
don't. Like, yeah. that's weird. It's like, turn around. Don't face Stabler. Look at the wall. Go to sleep. Yeah. And you, but you feel bad for him, too. Ugh, yeah. Whatever. So we're in court. Evan's giving his testimony. And ADA Hickey is questioning Evan about the abuse. And Evan looks to Holt and tells the truth. I thought for a second he was going to not say anything. Yeah. Because he was like, has he ever touched you? And he was like, yeah, on my back, like for posture. And he's like... Mm-hmm okay, but did he touch you anywhere else? And there was like this weird pause and he was like, yes. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. The judge lays the hammer down, rips Holt up and down. She gives him 115 years, which is the max. Evan Mm. seems distraught by the fact that he helped send Holt to prison Mm -hmm. because it's a conflicted place to be when kids have been so groomed by their abusers. Yeah. So this judge, she says, nothing indicates that you feel remorse or that I should be lenient. Note by note, you eroded the hope of these children, stole from them and stole from the community. Mm. It was fucking great. And she's like, maybe knowing that you will never teach another child will give some of us hope again. And then there was like the gavel slam. Uh. I was like, bitch, you were rad. Okay. The little boy Jonathan is in a room at the precinct with Olivia. Outside of that room, other side of the glass... Jonathan's dad, Stabler, and ADA Hickey are talking about what's going to happen. The dad doesn't want his kid testifying, but thinks if he doesn't, Evan goes free. And the ADA tells him Evan is pleading guilty, so he'd get probation in that case. The dad wants him to go to trial. Yeah, the dad wants him to go to trial. Well, they're like, we have a deal set up. It's, it's almost a done deal. And he's like, well, then fucking undo it. Or I will call every news outlet that will listen and tell them that certain child molesters are worth the police's time and energy while others aren't. Mm-hmm. Cut to Evan, his lawyer, Stabes and Hickey talking deals. Evan has his letter from Juilliard unopened. It's thick, so Stabe tells him congratulations. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a thick envelope from a school. It's yeah, like your admission papers. Why are you shit. throwing on this like little New York slang? <laughs> what did you just said? You're like, it was just funny. You, what did I? How when, did I when say you, it? When you started it, started off, you had like a little like New York thing. I can't remember the first words that you said. It was funny. I don't know. It's thick. So Stabe tells him thick? No, before that. Cut to Evan, his lawyer, Stabes and Hickey talking deals. Yeah, that's what it was. Talking deals. Is that? <laughs> it was just Does funny. it sound New Yorky? Yeah. Talking deals. Evan has his letter from Juilliard. It's unopened. <laughs> but it's thick. Period thick. Period so. Stabes tells him. So Stabes tells him congratulations. Ultimately, Evan says he's pleading guilty no matter what. He doesn't want to go to trial because it's not fair to Jonathan and he'll take the maximum sentence, which is three years. Mm -hmm. Evan goes, I don't know what made Holt the way he is, but I do know why I am the way I am. And it stops here now. Boom. Wow. Yeah. Is that literally the fastest we've ever gone through an episode? Um, Yeah, because there were no jokes. (laughs) There were some jokes. Were there? Dude, I did a whole thing where I talked about how having kids was bad. (laughs) (laughs) So in figuring out what I was going to do for The Chaser, I was looking up articles and apparently there's like a lot of sexual abuse in piano lessons. So many. God, thank God I quit piano lessons. Oh, same. (laughs) I quit because it was on, it was the hour when Rescue Rangers and DuckTales was on. And I was like, "Mm, I got to watch these. So I started thinking about the kid in the episode, Evan, being groomed and how some of, in some sexual abuse stuff with kids, like abusers use overt fear and violence and threats. Like if you tell anybody, I'll fucking murder your parents or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, stuff where you know that it's, you know that this is wrong. 
Like, Mm -hmm. this feels, this isn't a loving thing. This is wrong. Many abusers use grooming techniques, building what seem to be strong, loving, giving, supportive relationships, but with the intention of then turning it into something else. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do this chaser on the man who groomed the world, Michael Jackson. (gasps) Whoa. Whoa. You're... I don't give a shit. No, what? No, I was just saying, like, you're going big time. Yeah. What? what why are you yelling at me already? I didn't even do anything. No, I'm not yelling at you. I'm just, because I thought you were going to be like, this is a controversial place to say say things as fact. So I do have a little aside. If you're an MJ apologist, we have nothing to talk about. I don't care to hear from you. I don't need your comments. I don't, you don't know him personally. If you're on the fence, watch the documentary Leaving Neverland. It's my biggest resource for this chaser because it dives deep into the grooming and abuse that two survivors of abuse by Michael Jackson experienced. For this chaser, I'm going to focus on one person's experience, Wade Robson, and the grooming he experienced, his family experienced, and the way in which the entire world has been groomed by the King of Pop. I don't want to take away from the other survivor in the documentary, James Safechuck, because it's also based on him and his experience or any of the other boys who came forward to only be shut down and not believed. But we could start a whole nother podcast if we wanted to deep dive into all of it. Like there is endless info on Michael Jackson and all of his shit. So I'm going to I'm going to start it with a quote from Wade. He was one of the kindest, most gentle, most loving, caring people I knew. He helped me tremendously with my career. He helped me with my creativity, all those sorts of things and he also sexually abused me for seven years. Wade Robson discovered Michael Jackson in the thriller video when he was a five-year-old boy living in Australia. He quickly became absolutely obsessed with the dancing and with Michael. It just so happened that a short while into his obsession, Michael was on tour in Australia for the Bad Album. So there was this dance competition at a local mall and first prize was meeting Michael fucking Jackson. Can you even imagine that? That for, They would never do anything like that anymore. I mean, can you imagine just being like a kid and like, yeah, they would never do that anymore. Yeah. Right. Like, hey, local mall we're having a dance competition and you're going to meet the biggest Michael star in the Jackson, world. Yeah. yeah, there aren't even celebrities like that anymore. No. Wade was only five, so he was too young to compete, but they let him dance as a special guest. But everybody lost their shit for this tiny kid and he won first prize anyway. Oh, he wasn't even in the, he was too young? Yeah, it, the, the competition oh. started at seven. It was like for like seven to 10 year olds or whatever. Hmm. hmm. I know. Ugh. We just communicated so much. I know. He won first prize anyway. He got to meet his idol at the concert, danced with him on stage, and then Wade and his mom hung out with him at his hotel for like two hours. And so he kind of ended this magical experience with Michael telling them to reach out to him if they ever came to the United States. Mm -hmm. And that would be the end of it for most people. Yeah. Little Wade's passion for dance and for Michael continued as he joined a dance company, basically as a mini Michael. He performed with his dance company all over Australia. In 1990, his dance team was going to Disneyland in California to do some big performance. Wade's mom somehow got in touch with Michael's assistant on that trip. So pretty soon, seven-year-old Wade, his mom, and his 10-year-old sister, Chantal, were hanging out with Michael Jackson at the Neverland Ranch. People have described Neverland Ranch as a magical place, like being on another amazing planet. It had a petting zoo, amusement park, movie theater, trains and shit, arcades, like really everything a kid would want or could think of was just there at the ranch. Yeah. And because Michael Jackson grew up in the spotlight, it was well known that he made claims of feeling like he missed out on childhood. So the term Peter Pan syndrome was used in reference to him a lot. Yeah. Like usually to explain his behaviors. Things like one of his assistants had reported that Good Night Moon was one of his favorite stories to be read when he was going to sleep Mm -hmm. as an adult man. 
That's so weird because I liked being read to, but it was like the bell jar. And I was like. (laughs) (laughs) This also is used to explain his many close friendships with very young boys. So many people that knew him and that met him said he was just like a child. Um, And I could see how this could happen when I was a kid. When I was like 10, I had a friend. Have I told you about her? I don't know. I had a friend that lived at the Seventh-day Adventist ranch down the road from my parents' house. And she was probably like 40, but she had... but. It was like hanging out with a 10-year-old. And she was like my best friend. But I I was in denial that she was an adult. Even though I knew it, I would never say it. And She my, had like mental yeah. disabilities. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if so, like something, if she had trauma that like kept her there. I don't know. I don't know anything about her adult life. I remember she had like a swing in her bedroom and we would ride horses together and we would do crafts together. And she was basically like Laura Ingalls sort of vibes. Mm -hmm. And I was down with it because I loved that shit when I was like 10. Yeah. And we were super good friends for a long time. Like I I can see how... Did she live by herself or with her parents? No, or? she lived She lived with a couple. They weren't her parents, but she called them mom and dad. But they were older, like an older couple. But she had like a little girl's room and she was she was like a child. Weird. Yeah. I, I, all I know was that like she was... Why'd you guys stop hanging out? Just I, like- I aged out of her age bracket. Yeah. You know, like I, I, st- I was like... 12, 13. I mean, she stayed the same and I yeah. turned into a teenager, right. you know? But like, I always like what loved her and cared about her. And so anyway, yeah, I can see how a, how you could have a relationship like that and have it not be weird. Cause like nothing ever weird happened. My brothers just made fun of me for hanging out with her and not admitting that she was an adult and called her big Nan. <laughs> Why? Cause they were dicks. Was her name Nan? Nancy. Oh, big Nan. They'd be like, you go hang out with big Nan. <laughs> And they're like, how old is she? I'm like, she's 10. And they're like, no, she's not, dude. (laughs) Um, Okay, so people that knew him said he was just like a child. And I'm certain this is why so many people felt safe to leave their kids unsupervised with him, including Wade's mom. So four hours into them hanging out at the Neverland Ranch, Wade and his sister were spending the night with Jackson in his room while their mom stayed in the guest quarters. Wade and his sister both described the night as super innocent. They're watching movies, pillow fights, playing, falling asleep. And it wasn't just Wade who felt super close to him right away. His sister and his mom also were like building this bond with him. On the second night, seven-year-old Wade woke up to Michael sobbing that he was so lonely and he didn't want them to leave. Well, all that's easily explainable. Like he's an isolated person. He's got this persona that he is this innocent childlike person, although an adult and then on top of it he's extremely isolated and alone yeah everybody i I think was like oh this guy he's been in the spotlight since he was like five yeah he just wants a normal life and normal friends and stuff so when wade wakes up and he finds michael sobbing he felt terrible for him but also he's seven years old so he's really scared at the same time. Wade told Oprah in an interview as an adult that he was scared that Michael was going to turn into the werewolf from the thriller video. Like, that's how this little kid's brain was processing what this adult was doing, you know? Yeah. The next day, the family was supposed to RV it to the Grand Canyon, but Wade wanted to stay with Michael. The whole family left and let him stay with Michael Jackson for five days. That's crazy. Yeah. It was during that time that Michael started conditioning Wade to be molested. Not only was he physically doing things to Wade and having Wade do things to him. How old was he then? Seven. Per- yeah. Mm-hmm. See how Michael Jackson was like, oh, yeah, if he didn't care yeah. until he was between that 
auditioning age of seven and ten. He was yeah. auditioning for children to be molested. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so not only was he physically doing things to Wade and having Wade do things to him, which I can't go into specifics about. It's in the documentary if you really want to see it or hear about it. It's just too much. He was making it seem normal. He told Wade, quote, you and I were brought together by God and we were meant to be together. This is how we show each other we love each other. He was also talking to Wade about not trusting people, especially women, and he started calling Wade son. So there are key things that an abuser does to groom a child. One, they teach you that you're safe. Two, they teach you that you're special and three they slowly introduce physical touch starting with like rough housing and then working into more intimate touch when wade's family came back instead of traveling on together they split up wade his sister and their mom went back to la with michael while the rest of the family continued their trip in america the sexual stuff happened every night while wade's mom and sister slept in the other room and wade slept in michael's now even though wade thought all of this was okay he knew not to say anything michael told wade they'd never see each other again if anyone found out what they were doing and that they'd both go to jail for the rest of their lives. He included him in the blame to keep Wade quiet. When Wade went back to Australia, he spent hours on the phone every day for two years with Michael Jackson, six to seven hours at a time, constant faxes and phone conversations. All this time, Wade's mom was developing a separate relationship. Like Michael would just call the house to talk to Wade's mom too, because he's grooming the whole family. Something Wade said in an interview was that Michael had groomed them before he had even met them. Like people thought that they knew him already from watching his persona as he grew up and with the Jackson 5 and on TV. And then in meeting him, he fulfills this fantasy of what people have in their head and continues to develop special relationships with each family member. So how were the rest of us being groomed by Michael Jackson? His charitable donations throughout his life were in the multi-millions. There was the Michael Jackson Burn Center for Children, the Michael Jackson United Negro College Fund Endowed Scholarship Fund. He donated the proceeds from the sales of The Man in the Mirror to Camp Ronald McDonald for Good Times, a camp for children who suffer from cancer. He wrote We Are the World with Lionel Richie in 1985 and performed it with a bizarre grouping of celebrities. Remember that? Yeah, I do. But they raised a bunch of money for Africa. Yeah. Jackson donated tickets to shows during his 1989 bad tour to underprivileged children. The proceeds from one of his shows in L.A. were donated to Child Help USA, the biggest charity organization against child abuse. Hmm. Then Child Help of Southern California started the Michael Jackson International Institute of Research on Child Abuse. In 1992, he established the Heal the World Foundation, whose work has included airlifting six tons of supplies to Sarajevo, instituting drug and alcohol abuse education, and donating millions of dollars to less fortunate children. Mm. That's the abridged version yeah. of his philanthropy. How can someone be both of these people? They hide in plain sight. Like these things coexist. And that was the biggest issue is that people are like, you're so good, you can't be bad. Yeah, just like the guy from the episode, like he did so much for the community, people just couldn't wrap their minds around him doing bad things to their children. Even after it came into question coming up here, it like it didn't really come into question until 93. Like people thought he was kind of he's odd. Kind of weird dude, but they're like, well, he's been in the spotlight. Since Lot was, of, yeah. yeah, there's there's an excuse for every behavior. So we're all conditioned to have to see him in this light, too. Mm -hmm. Like he has to have an insane PR team. Yeah. Wade went back to the U.S. to work on the L.A. Gear campaign with Michael for six weeks. Like after he had gone back to Australia, after this big trip, after he was first molested by Michael Jackson, he went back later that year. His mom was all about going. She was just mesmerized by the fact that it was Michael fucking Jackson. Right. He made everyone feel special. Wade described the sexual contact being something he almost looked forward to. He said he had anticipated it because it was so intertwined with the rest of the relationship, mm -hmm. which was so good. Yeah. And loving and kind and supportive and all of these things that you want. And the fact that 
the whole time Michael's telling him, we can't get caught for this because we'll get in trouble. Yeah. Like, you know, you're not. Th- like we're in this together. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing this to to him. Because I kept going, maybe he was really like not realizing how much he was hurting him. And, you know, he really did love kids and all that stuff. No, he was really fucked up, but he knew that he was doing something wrong. Yeah. So during the six weeks that they were doing this L.A. gear thing. It's it's like that Nambla bullshit. Like, yeah. oh, we man love boy. And you're like, no. Right. So then during this time, Michael started showing Wade porn. And he wasn't as into that. But he could tell that Michael liked it. He felt like he wanted to participate in it just because Michael liked it. But he didn't think it was as fun as like the way everything else was. Like the people pleasing part of it. Of yeah. Being a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So as this six weeks is wrapping up, Michael asks Wade's mom if she'll leave Wade with him for a year. Mm-hmm. Her seven-year-old son. And Wade was like, fuck yeah. Like, I love him. Yeah. And I want to be with him all the time. He was infatuated with him. Yeah. And Michael threw the sales pitch of Wade's career at his mom. And like he's going to do all this stuff to help him and mentor him and blah, blah, blah. And he was doing these things. Yeah. And Wade's mom's hopefully like, no. She's like, no, I'm going to take him home to the other side of the world with me. And like we can still have a relationship or whatever. At the end of this like hours long conversation, Michael's like, I always get what I want. Hmm. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening yeah. So ultimately she she landed on no, but Michael did convince her to stay another week with her son. So not long after they went back to Australia, Wade's mom and Michael started setting up for them to move. Wade's mom was going to leave his dad and take Wade and Chantal, his sister, to the United States for the betterment of Wade's career. He could only get so far in Australia, so he's going to go to the U.S., get some help from Michael, and make it big. At this time, you know, Wade's seven years old. He really believes that life in the U.S. would be like living with Michael, being with him all the time, and he was looking forward to that. But then they got there, and the red car it wasn't rolled out like it had always been. Not only that, Michael wasn't showering Wade with time and attention that Wade had gotten used to. And then Wade learned why. Macaulay Culkin. Ooh. How old was Macaulay Culkin when Home Alone came out? He was our age. Was he was our age. Yeah. yeah, when he came out. He was the new best friend, right-hand kid, right by Michael's side. Wade was hurt and confused and jealous and was feeling all of these, like, relationshipy feelings. But also, Michael had kind of taken the place of his dad. Mm-hmm. So he had all of these attachment issues going on in feeling replaced. So his first year in L.A., Wade only saw Michael, like, four or five times. And every time he saw him, sexual stuff would happen, and it would feel comforting to Wade because he was fully in love with Michael at this time. And it was just like, okay, I am special. I am because that's what Michael does to show his love. Yeah. He felt like he was competing for Michael's attention, which is so fucking crazy. He said that every 12 months there was a new boy in Michael's life. We're watching. This is all happening in the public eye, mm-hmm. like these kids. So Wade's working hard on his dance career, but he's always thinking about impressing Michael with his dance, with the things he's accomplishing, everything. Wade remembers sleepovers with Michael, Macaulay, Jordy Chandler, and himself. At this time, Jordy had become Michael's number one. Something that really creeped me out that I read that Michael had said to an adult of like one of the kids in his life was, why don't you trust me? If we're a family, you've got to think of me as a brother. Why make me feel so bad? This is a bond. It's not about sex. This is something special. So it's 1993. Jordy Chandler, along with three other unnamed boys, accuse MJ of sexual abuse, Jordy being the main defendant. Jordy's dad, Evan, became suspicious at one point and got it out of Jordy that he was being molested by Michael Jackson. 
Wade's mom was kind of shook by this. And so she talked to Michael about it. She said he was so convincing and said, I would never hurt a child. And why wouldn't they believe him? The whole family was conditioned to believe Michael was a gentle, kind, generous, childlike person. So all of this grooming came full circle. Wade was told by Michael since he was seven that they'd both go to jail for the rest of their lives. He was scared that he would get in trouble and Wade flat out denied it to his mom the police, everybody. And he felt like he needed to protect Michael. All of a sudden, Michael was calling Wade all the time again, getting him on his good side, coaching him. Wade was ready to defend Michael over anything. In regards to this trial, Wade said, I was excited by the idea of being able to defend him and being able to save him. And he did. He hard defended him. This ended up getting settled out of court for $23 million. So the narrative ended up being it was money and fame and everything. That's all they wanted. Mm-hmm. It ended up not being able to go to trial because Jordy refused to testify against Michael. But here's a kid the world has turned against because the he's whole a, entire world has been groomed. He's a fucking child. Yeah. Yes. It's already hard enough for kids that aren't in the spotlight. You know right. what I mean? I and you're going even. up against Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson's lawyers, his PR team. He's a beloved public figure. He has set himself up to be in a position of protection, you yeah. know? So if Jordy wouldn't testify, they couldn't bring criminal charges against Michael, but they were able to settle out of court, out of civil court. So even with Jordy's detailed descriptions of things, everything had to be thrown out. I mean, there was testimony from Jordy of detailed descriptions of, like, Michael Jackson had to get strip search, okay? Like, just to give you an idea of I remember that. The like, kind of detail, yeah. Yeah. And everybody felt bad for Michael because he was so innocent and having to go through through that, but it's because Jordy had given the police a detailed description of Michael Jackson's penis. Yeah. Jordy disappeared after that. He doesn't speak publicly, and his dad, Evan, died by suicide three months after Jackson died. So this was a real testament to Wade's choice. Look at what happened to Jordy for saying something, and mm-hmm. look at how pleased Michael was with Wade. Yeah. Wade felt like he and Michael were back together. Mm-hmm. So now it's 1994. Michael marries Lisa Marie Presley, and we all knew that was bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. That was fucking gross. It was, remember, when it was, they came out like a year later on some award show, and he's like, they thought it wouldn't last, and they (laughs) made out for the first time, obviously. It was fucking so awkward and weird. Even like, what was I, like 10? It was 94, so we were 12. Yeah. Even I was like, ugh. (laughs) Like what? (laughs) By this time, Wade was 14. He was crushing his dance career, doing choreography and shit. This was also Wade's account of his last sexual interaction with Michael. It was painful for Wade. To hear the details, again, watch Leaving Neverland. I'm not talking about it. Like, I just can't do it. But that was the last time that they were... That he was molested by Michael Jackson. The last time that he was molested by Michael Jackson. He was 14 years old. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to the early aughts. Wade was fucking directing in sync. He was the creative director for Britney Spears. People knew him outside of Michael. Like, Wade was his own public figure at this point. Yeah. And this is also when he met his future wife, Amanda. So he gets married, all this. 2003, Mm -hmm. in the documentary Living with Michael Jackson, there's a moment where Michael is cradling a young teen boy and talking to the film's director. And he says, my greatest inspiration comes from kids. I'm not doing a Michael Jackson voice because it's too serious of a subject matter, but just imagine the Michael Jackson voice. Mm -hmm. Lisa, it's your birthday. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So he says, my greatest inspiration comes from kids. It's all inspired from that level of innocence, that consciousness of purity. It's so fucking creepy to hear anything that he has to say Mm -hmm. in hindsight. So again, 2003, Michael Jackson's under arrest again. Gavin Arvizo, that kid that he was cradling in that movie, Mm -hmm. um, had accused Michael of sexual abuse. Jackson was indicted on four counts of molesting a minor, four counts of intoxicating a minor to molest him, 
there's accounts from Wade as well that said that like Michael got them drunk and shit. One count of attempted child molestation, one count of conspiring to hold the boy and his family captive and conspiring to commit extortion and child abduction. There is so much detail that goes along with that, but it tracks mm-hmm. with Wade's shit. Mm-hmm. But again, like we can't be here for nine hours. Wade's mom fully believed Michael. I mean, well, no, I mean, this is the thing when, when people in my mind, I'm like, how could a parent ever? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But it's like these people do this stuff and they know how to do it so well. They're literally like, it's not about being a good parent or a bad parent. It's just yeah. you were a victim. Yeah. You know, it's right. fucking fucked up. And then you feel bad for the parents later. They're like, oh my God, how could I not see this? And it's like, because you were f- fucking fucked with. Yeah. You know, and this dude had like a ton of money and a ton of like was giving he just seemed it's just it's not so, their fault it just I read this thing again like I can't go on a million branch offs of everything but remember when Latoya came out and said that she knew that Michael was abusing kids Mm-mm. okay it was um I don't remember if it was Jordy's trial or if it was Gavin's trial but she had said that she knew he was abusing kids and she knew and her mom knew and she had seen like big ass checks being written to families like paying kids off paying people off so it was this whole big thing and she was estranged from the family and then like she recanted years later and said that her ex-husband had made her say all that stuff but i don't know man like it lined uh, i don't know it lined up with a lot of shit Okay, so same as before, Michael started reaching out to Wade every day after he was arrested. It was like he picked right up where he left off with the Jordy Chandler case. Wade told Michael he didn't want to testify, and he still deeply loved Michael. He just didn't want to be involved. But the decades prior grooming triggered Wade's deepest implanted fears. Mm-hmm. This is what Michael said to him when he's trying to get him to testify. I know it's hard. We can't let them do this to us. We can't let them take us down. Right. Macaulay Culkin, same thing. He testified on Michael Jackson's behalf. And he still to this day has said nothing has happened to him. Mm -hmm. But can you imagine what his life would be if he said that it did? Right. Because there were people that said that they saw things happen. People like staff and everything from Neverland and whatever, that they saw things or walked in on things with Macaulay specifically. Yeah. It's his stuff. I don't know. Right. You don't know, you know? So a billion people testified at this. There was like a housekeeper that said she had seen Wade showering with Michael. All these different accounts during this trial, people came to the stand to say the things that they had seen there. But if the person that they're talking about says it didn't happen, the witness accounts go out the window. So this cleaning lady is like, yeah, I saw Michael Jackson showering with Wade Robson. And then Wade's on the stand going, that never happened. Right. Then they're going to go, okay. Wade had decided he was taking his experiences with Michael to his grave. He wouldn't tell his wife. He wouldn't tell his mom. He wouldn't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. That trial lasted four months. When it ended, people were crying outside of the courtroom when they found out he was not guilty on all 10 counts. Mm -hmm. A woman was releasing doves for every count that he won. That's so weird. It's so bawling. Even through all this and defending him so hard and everything, Wade felt, he felt for the boys who came forward but weren't believed, but he still felt like he hadn't experienced abuse. Yeah. Something that he had said was, I loved Michael, Michael loved me, this was something that happened between us and that's it. Right. Like that's what he truly believed at the time. July 25th, 2009, Michael Jackson's dead. Yeah. 50 years old. Right. If you were aware at the time... Yeah. The world was upside down. I know over this shit. where I was and what I was what I was doing when 9/11 happened and when Michael Jackson died. Yeah, yeah. 
After this, Wade was a mess, not talking to anybody. He crazy dove into work. And it wasn't just the fact that Michael had died. I mean, this went beyond Michael's death and he could feel that. Like he knew it wasn't just because he had died, but he wasn't doing well, like mental health wise. Like he would work like crazy and then go into a lull of depression and then work like crazy in depression. He felt like he was going to have a heart attack. He had multiple nervous breakdowns and nobody knew it was wrong and he didn't even know. So in 2010, he still didn't understand why he was an emotional mess. He was deeply, deeply depressed, isolating himself, unable to identify why he felt that way. Something his wife said that really like gave me the chills was whatever was going on inside of him, it was relentless. Mm -hmm. Like carrying that around, I just got chills again saying it. So after this Wade saw a psychiatrist, he told him his entire life story. He told him all of the mentorship and the friendship and everything with Michael and left out the abuse. And the therapist was like, and... And you know, he knows about it. Like throughout this therapy and everything, he told his wife, he's like, I just don't know who I am. And she said that there was terror in his eyes all the time. Like what a horrible place to be and not be able to identify it. Like we're listening from the outside going like, oh, just say it out loud. He's not aware. Or just like connect the dots in your brain. Yeah. But you, they, I feel like people do different things to protect, their brain does different things to protect them. Yeah. He wasn't even consciously trying to protect himself in it. So Wade and his wife have a baby boy. The baby's a year and a half old. Wade started having images of his son experiencing what happened to him, like happening to his son. Mm -hmm. And it filled him with intense rage. And it took him that, like he knows that he would, maybe never would have connected it if it wasn't for his kid. It took him that to be like, oh my God, this was... I was molested. Yes. Yeah. Because if that happened to my son with a grown man, Mm -hmm. I would consider that being molested. Oh my God, that happened to me. Yeah. He said, quote, how can I have such clear feelings, negative, horrible feelings about that sexual stuff happening to Koa, his son. But when I think about Michael and I and all of that sexual stuff going on, I don't feel anything. That's probably kind of weird. Mm -hmm. So he decided he had to talk about it in therapy. He told his therapist... He told his siblings and his wife. And after that, he had what he called an emotional upheaval. Mm -hmm. It ripped his whole family apart. But I wanted to make it clear that that was happening long before anyone knew about the abuse. Mm -hmm. It happened as they were each being conditioned to depend on Michael by Michael. Michael replaced his dad. Wade barely had a relationship with his father once Jackson was in the picture. 2013, three years after first speaking his truth, Wade goes public. And of course, people fucking hated him for it. Mm -hmm. I went down a message board K-hole and It is a wild ride. Any conversation surrounding Michael Jackson that you're going to find on the internet or commentary or anything is intense on both sides. Yeah. So there ended up being a court case brought uh, regarding Wade and James Safechuck, the other guy in the documentary. And that case was thrown out, but then brought back because statute law was changed. And it's just a whole mess that apparently is still in litigation. It was decided by a judge after a bunch of public shit that it would be dealt with privately in closed court. So I have no idea where that's at or how that's going, if it's resolved or what. I'm going to believe a survivor first, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. And so I'm not going to apologize again for like believing this person. And like, you know, it's just his accounts and whatever. Like he's dead. He can't hurt any more kids is where we're at. But something that Wade said was, quote, I want to be able to speak the truth as loud as I had to speak the lie for so long. Mm -hmm. That's huge. That's fucking huge. So I'll leave you with this. If you or someone you know has been affected by sexual abuse... Help is available 24-7 through the National Sexual Assault Hotline, 800-656-HOPE, and on rain.org, R-A-I-N-N.org. Cool. Wow, what a bummer. You say that every fucking time I do a chaser. <laughs> it's good. Maybe we should change the subject matter of our, of our podcast. 
Not SVU. <laughs> yeah. What? Do you want to sing? You want to dance to Dino Dana? Oh, I want to do it. All right, Darla needs to dance to Call Your Girlfriend. All right, let's go watch her. All right, love you, bye. Love you, it. Alexa, play Call Your Girlfriend by Robin. We have a new website. Did Ketter finish it? I mean, we just have a new domain. Yeah. Because gay boys gave me shit for having it be svupod, especially heinous.com. <laughs> yeah. I'm like the like the Hot Wheels guy. <laughs> so it's uh, just svupod.com. svupod.com. So check out our website. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram. svupod. Facebook, SVUPod. Twitter, SVUPod. Your mom's butt, SVUPod. <laughs> <All right. laughs> <laughs> Love you, bye. Love you, bye.